0: Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Dana Ozman, here with my friend, Chavruta, Ann Gordon. Our daft today, Masachat Rosh Hashanah, Daf Chafbet, page 22. So we're going to finish up our first parak of Rosh Hashanah, and then we're going to get to the second parak, which Ann will start with. Um, and we really just have a series of three Mishnas here, uh, with very little gemara on each of them. The first Mishnah starts as follows. And the background that you need to know about this is that uh, later on in the Masachet, of course, uh, on Dav Kav Zayin and Dav Kav there's going to be discussion uh, based on psukim that a father and a son um, and other types of close relatives can't really testify together as witnesses in front of din. And so the Mishnah basically here wants to discuss whether or not that's true when it comes to the testimony that's required for establishing Rosh Chodesh, for establishing the new moon. So father and son who saw the new moon together, they should both go to the Beit Din. Not because they will be joined together as a pair of witnesses, but rather so that if one of them is disqualified, the other one can still be a witness with a different pair. Rabbi Shimonomer, Avu banot bechol Rabbi Shimon has a very interesting opinion here where he says that a father and son, as well as other types of relatives, which again, we'll get into more of that discussion uh, later on on Dav Chav Zion, they actually can be paired together um, as witnesses. Masa Rabbi Yossi. Rabbi Yossi then tells a story that there was this, uh, a Tuvia, the doctor, and he saw it with his son and his freed, uh, with his freed slave. So a freed slave uh, here probably was a non-Jewish slave. Who, um, when they get freed, they actually become—they get a status of a Jew, um, and um, that's you know the special category that's here. The key blew out Kohanim So the Kohanim they were willing to uh, accept uh, him, this doctor and his son, as as testimony together but when they got to the Baitin, but when they got to the Baitin, right, the, who follows the Baitin is this point of the story of Rabbi Yossi's show. They follow the opinion of, uh, of the Tanakama. They were only willing to accept the testimony of the father and the servant together, but not the father and the son together. And so, you know, the Gemara starts with basically a discussion of, What's the reasoning for Rabbi Shimon? Right, I'm a Rabbi Levi. My time is a Rabbi Shimon. What's the reason? So first he quotes, uh, you know, the pasuk where we actually get from Shmot chapter twelve, verses one and two, where we get the mitzvah of kiddush HaKodash, of sanctifying the new moon, and basically it says, right, Hashem says to Moshe and Aaron, in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you. So Rabbi Shimon basically says the testimony of the new moon is valid through you, meaning the first two Adam ever for Kiddush HaChodesh for sanctifying the new moon were Moshe and Aaron, and they were brothers. So we learn from this that relatives are acceptable as a pair of witnesses. For Rabbanan, Misu ralachem. The rabbis interpret this to mean the to mean that this testimony is placed under sort of like your Jewish your jurisdiction. So in other words, that just as Moshe and Aaron were the basically the two rabbi you know the two sages, of the chachamim of that generation so it needs to be that it's the chachamim of each generation who take uh the new moon and so i thought these were both of them are actually very lovely uh interpretations of uh you, you know of, of how do we get to the of how do we get these to these basically the opinion of the tanakama versus the opinion of rabbi shimon and then the rest of the gemara basically just wants to decide whether or not who do we ask to lead pasuk in light? And the ultimate conclusion of the gemara is that we do paskin like Rabbi Shimon that relatives can um, can testify together. Now we'll move on to the second mishnah, and the thing that we need to know here is that based on a pasuk Shmot chapter twenty three verse one that says do not place your hand with a wicked man to be a thieving witness. So we'll learn more about this when we get to Sanhedrin. But the idea is basically is that somebody who's a robber, you know, is not allowed to be a witness. And from there, the Gemara basically learns that there are certain categories of people who do, let's say, unseemly things. They're not good witnesses. And so the Gemara, the Mishnah here is going to list who are people who are ineligible to be witnesses for the new moon. These are the people who are who are ineligible. Somebody who plays dice. Um, And the idea here is that essentially this is somebody who sort of uh, gambles um, and, you know, maybe this is, you know, some type of of robbing, actually. So this is why I would fall. And this is a whole other long discussion. We'll actually probably get into this more when we get to Masachet Sanhedrin. Somebody who lends interest. Right. We know that uh, we're not Jews are not actually allowed to charge interest. And that actually becomes a whole interesting thing about Jews who own banks and lend money to other Jews. Again, beyond the podcast today, yonim um, uh, dove racers. Um, so uh, same idea as sort of being like a dice player at some type of gambling. People who sell, right, Shemitah produce, right? We've talked a lot about Shemitah and always we love these Nesnistars nice because it is a Shemitah year. Um, but really, that's supposed to be heftier. It's ownerless. You're not supposed to sell it at all. Um, so he basically, somebody's profiting uh, in a way that they actually transgress a law. And that's not allowed. And also, and also um, slaves. And here what we're talking about our non-Jewish slaves um, that, you know, are not allowed to, um, they're not allowed to testify. Zeha Klau. This is the general principle. So this is the very interesting principle. Any testimony which a woman is ineligible to offer, they are also ineligible to offer. So again, this will go on to another Gemara later, but basically there's a passage in Devarim um, in chapter 19, verse 17, that says, Two men shall stand, right? That You literally stood when you gave testimony. And that basically means that women are ineligible to serve as witnesses. But we do have some exceptions where women are allowed to and the basic one the main one that they're allowed to be allowed is that let's say we want to have testimony that a man died to allow his wife to remarry women are actually uh eligible to testify in that another case would be in the case of a sota a woman who was suspected of adultery um so um so we do allow women to be uh to be a witness there so basically if there's a case where a woman can be a, a witness we allow actually this category of people there. But if we don't, um, then if we don't allow women to be a witness, then these people are also not allowed um, to be. Um, and then the Gemara just basically asks a very quick question, which is, ha Ishaq shak Athink la right? So, but where is a woman eligible that is eligible that they're also eligible? Like, in other words, they want to ask, what is that case? Amaravashi, Zoto, Merit. So we can infer that basically these type of people on a rabbinic level are actually allowed to testify with regard to allowing a woman to remarry, which is exactly what we said. And then finally, we conclude with one last Mishnah that actually has no Gemara on it. Let's say we have a person who sees the new moon and he's too weak or he's too ill uh, to actually travel and here we're actually talking about uh, on Shabbat, right? You're actually allowed to bring him on a donkey even though it's Shabbat. You can even carry him in a bed, right? Which we know you're allowed to carry uh, you know, that you're not normally allowed to do that on Shabbat. And if they're worried that an ambush is going to come, uh, they're allowed to actually uh, take arm and arm themselves. So here what they're talking about is that very often sometimes to him and other sort of these separatist groups would try to prevent them from being able to testify about the new moon. And we're going to see this uh, later on. Uh, it's on the next Mishnah that you're going to do and that, you know, think about it, the, the accepting of testimony for the new moon is a real sign of rabbinic power. So if you are of a separatist group that doesn't believe in chazal, this is like the law you're going to try to undermine. So, you know, so basically to protect themselves, uh, they were allowed to to sort of uh, to to do what they needed to do um, in order to to be able to get to Jerusalem to, to give the testimony. the um, Let's say the distance to Jerusalem was very long. Well, they can take um, they can take food with them um, as well. Because the journey of a night and day, right? In other words, if it's that far away. The witnesses can desecrate Shabbat in order to be able to go and testify. So these are all things you were allowed to do on Shabbat in order to be able to fulfill uh, being able to give this testimony. Shana Mar, and So they quote a pasuk. Right. So they're quoting a pasuk from Vayikra chapter 23, verses four, which said these are the appointed times of Hashem, which you shall declare in their fixed time which teaches us that we can basically desecrate Shabbat in order to sanctify the new moon at a proper time. Um, and this was actually explained, uh, uh, this was talked about on the previous staff as well. So this wraps up uh, our first parak of Rosh Hashanah. As you can see we're more than halfway done with the Masaket itself. So the next few parakim are actually going to go uh, relatively quickly. Um, and, and I think you're going to talk about this a little bit. We're sort of like, we got somehow onto a topic of, uh, uh, of witnesses, and you're also going to be talking about witnesses, so the division of the prekim is a little strange here.
1: So yeah, I find it to be a little bit odd that there is discussion of the witnesses in the Mishnayat of Perk Aleph. meaning if it was a line in the Gemara, I would understand that, because it is all the same it is the same topic overall, but the fact that we have Perk Bet with a real topic of the witnesses and their interrogation and the handling of them by the Beit I would think that, that would not show up in the Mishnayot of Perk Aleph Because it is the topic of Perigpet, meaning why the division of the chapters is where it is, is um, not clear to me. It is, I think we might be able to come up with a nice, streamlined solution if we actually were able to dedicate more time to that question. So we're not, but I'm going to leave it as an open question. Maybe one of you has a good thought. Um, And if not, you know, listen, some of it does seem to be that this is the way they put it together. I don't know that every single structural aspect of the Gemara is necessarily um what thematically driven conceptually driven it could have been you know some we've seen where the you know which rabbi says what is the, the driving force so i'm mm-hmm. going to leave it as an open question i would say also your david that in addition to the witnesses our topic for the day today essentially is mishnah day because we've got five mishnah with a small amount of gemara boom 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 one after another despite the perik break in between so here without further ado perik bet the first mission, of course, is actually at the very bottom of Kafbet Ahmed Aleph. Okay, here we go. And then we're going to move on to Ahmed Bet. So, what happens is if they don't know, um, if they don't, they don't know the person who's coming to say that they saw that the new moon, meaning they don't know that this person is, in fact, a valid witness. Right? Not everybody is kosher to be a witness, as you were saying, Yerdena. So then what they do is they would say, send another one with that person to testify about him. Meaning you have one person testing about, about, testifying about the moon and one person testifying about the person who's testifying about the moon's eligibility to testify about the moon. At first, meaning in the beginning, when they first were doing this, they would accept that testimony from anybody right? Assume everybody is kosher, right? And then the problem was that literally this tripped them up. Well, the kalu ha they've come up, the baytusim have come up in the, I don't know when, in the past year and Well, we remember, it's again.
0: a student of Antigonish East Soho from the third Mishnah of Perkei So... Meaning that's
1: the origin of the baytusim. Yeah,
0: that's the origin of them. He's one of their students. Uh, right. So just, you know, look that up you'll remember that
1: <laughs> but the but the issue here really is that the this was a sect meaning by this point in time it's when they were messing with the rosh Chodesh, it was a sect that was intentionally sending false witnesses to to mess up the the Sanhedrin, to mess up the mainstream you know whatever jewish approach here right to mess up the Beitin. So then from then on, they made a decree that they're only going to accept testimony from those people who are already known. So I assume that what happens then is that the person testifying about the person who's testifying about the moon has to be somebody who is known to the meeting. The idea that you trust somebody's kashrut because somebody you trust, trusts their kashrut is not a hard concept. Um, but it must have been a little bit complicated and messy to get this to happen, you know, both smoothly and not in any kind of insulting way. So the Gemara here says, goes on. It takes, speaks about this. My acher. What is the meaning, right? What does it mean that they would say that another person would come along? Chad v'chad mimehamein. Meaning, if you're talking about one witness to begin with, right? So then how... Like, the Gemara is basically saying, wait, what? Does this? any of this make sense? How is it that you've got one witness about the moon and one witness about the witness, then that's not really two witnesses about the moon to begin with, right? Who's going to believe just the one witness upon another witness? So the Gemara clarifies and says, don't read this Mishnah too literally where it's going to be one person and another person. It means that you've got a pair of witnesses talking about the moon, and then um, another pair coming to talk up. Well, I don't know. Even one coming to come talk about the moon might be enough because they could. The baiting could be getting more than one, so that could be sufficient. But then the people talking about the moon witness—that's um, actually supposed to be a pair, um, which which makes sense in the context of all of this. Now, there's a lot more gemara here, but because it's Mishnah Day, I'm jumping ahead. Um, and I would say also take note, there's another Ula story here on before the next Mishnah, Ula from, going from Ertichal to Bavel again and how they testified the moon, testif- how they, I'm sorry, how they sanctified Rosh Chodesh um, and you know what that meant for, well, his messages to them. And also there's this, the synopsis here of how the Baitusim did indeed try to mislead the the baiting, and they did it seriously. Meaning, they actually went out and tried to mislead them. It's not just a, you know, a difference of approach, and it wasn't treated, um, as equal or something like that. It was a, an attempt to corrupt the system. Okay, the next mishnah. So likewise, we've got another situation of how they used to do things before there was an act before there were active attempts to disrupt the process. Specifically, they would sanctify the new moon and then they would light torches. This is just such a picturesque thing, that they would light torches on the mountaintops from one to the next. You know, they didn't have rapid fire communication telecommunications as we do nowadays. And they would get the word out simply by torches, right? Like that you could see it in the dark. And then the next one to the next one to the next one um, would convey via these uh, via these lights on the mountaintops that indeed the, the month had been sanctified. The problem is that then the Kutim, and Kutim here is another word for the Shomronim, which is not exactly the same sect as the Baitusim, but it's another, I don't know, cousin of the main of the main crew of the Jews of the Beitin and so on. And the Shomronim, you know, again, corrupted the system because what did they do? It's really easy to mess with the system. Just light your torches at the wrong time. When there is no sanctification of the new moon, and then people will spot it, and then you know convey the word that it is the new moon, and everybody will be keeping the wrong day as Rosh Chodesh. It's not quite as devastating as if the wrong carbonote were offered in the Beit Hamikdash, but it's also not okay, right? It really messes with the calendar. So then the Chazal, the sages, decided um, that they would send out messengers to you know to travel fast to get to the far reaches of anybody who would have been seeing the fires, to be able to tell them that Kiddush HaKodesh took place. So the Gemara asks, how did this really work? How did they light these torches back in the day, before the decree? So what would happen? They would take items, and the idea here is really that these are things that are are going to give a smooth burn, a quick and smooth and easy burn, long poles of cedar and reeds and pine and flax, right? I guess that's the wick, really, to get it to go. Um, And they would tie them together with string, and they would go up to the mountaintop, and they would, and then they would um, wave that light, that fire, really, back and forth. <coughs> they wave it back and forth and up and down, meaning you know that you've been seen when the next guy starts doing it too. So you you keep your fire going until the next guy gets the message, and you know that he's gotten the message by virtue of the fact that he is also now waving his fire around. And likewise, the second to the third, and the third to the fourth, and so on. And they would—it's really like you know a pretty um, you know rudimentary but also effective message of signaling. I guess it's really signaling transmission. And then, So then, which of these mountains that they would like these, like, where where did they do this? Technically speaking. <shahaya> so what do they do? They would start at Har Zetim in Jerusalem, right? Har-Mikshah, the mountain of oils, or the mountains of the anointment in Jerusalem, which is very close, really, to the Beit HaMikdash, where they were, where they would um, have the Sanhedrin. And they would go from Sertava, from, from there, to Sartava, from Sartava to Gerufina, from Gerufina to Chavran, from Chavran to Beit Baltin. Beit Baltin They didn't have any more lit torches to the next place. Rather, they would just wave the torch back and forth and up and down, and then all the people around him, like I guess on hilltops all around, would light up. You know, and then he would see like fires all around, torches to 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 see that all around him people are getting the word. Um, I think it's important to note that they knew when to look for the fires, meaning. It's not that you, they had a lookout for a fire every day of the month. They know it's either going to be tomorrow or the next day or the next day. You know, that kind of thing in terms of you can count off to 28 and start looking. All right. So most of the Gemara on this Mishnah is, you know, really pick, it begins at the very end here and it continues on to the next stuff, And it gets pretty complicated because the question of when this decree was in terms of when they would, everybody's going to go and look and see not for the fires at a certain day, right? The question is, are they looking on the 29th day? Are they looking on the 30th day? Or are they only ever going to see it on the 31st day? And this is what the Gemara here talks about in terms of establishing the decree that it's only going to be for the full month. Now, this raises some questions, which is why I'm going to actually curtail the conversation now. And please, God, we will talk about it further as we get into the rest of these the witnesses and the the whole process of how they would do it. Because the question of how many days are in a month um becomes relevant right to when you're going to be looking for those torches but if the torches only go up on the 30th day right so then all those people who are waiting to see was the 29th day rosh Chodesh, and then they discovered that it wasn't rosh Chodesh because they see the torches on the on the 30th day it gets a little bit tricky because what if they don't see the torches on the 30th day because really it was the 29th day and this is exactly where I would say we need a little bit of EUN, like to really break it down carefully, and also the next staff because there's more to it.
0: That's our DAF discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAF and all of its discussion about witnesses on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.